You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, Internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life and listen for the spark. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. around us is an amazing place filled with beauty and with science. But let's face it, sometimes science can be so confusing that it takes a PhD to understand it. Well, you're in luck. I just happen to have a PhD. Come and take a seat. Perhaps I can explain the world around us in a way we all can understand. Welcome to Conversations in Science. I'm Dr. Judy L. Moore. Call me Doc. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Conversations in Science. Yes, I am Dr. Judy L. Moore, and yes, as my intro says, I do have a PhD. No, I'm not a medical doctor. I am a science doctor. Yeah, what does that mean? I spent way, way, way too long at school, and I go into technobabble quite frequently, which is why I have Jesse. Where are you? What's up, Doc? Hey, Jess. For those of you who are new to the show, it's Jessie's responsibility to make sure that I don't go into too much technobabble because I do it all the time. I'm really bad at it. Sorry. Okay, so this is basically what we are and this is what we're doing. But sometimes we're not alone. And we've had a string of guests recently because I'm really excited. It's not long now and there's a book out coming out called Putting the Science in Fiction. And these are all different fields of science where we're all coming together and we're just explaining where fiction tends to get the science wrong. And our guest today is another one of the contributors from this same book. Welcome to the show, Stephanie Suveni. Oh, please tell me I said that name right. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) No problem. Yay. (laughs) Way to go, Well, hello. (laughs) Right. So tell us, Stephanie, what is it that you do for a job? So I'm actually uh, an oncology nurse and uh, also stem cell transplant nurse, um, which means I work with cancer patients and um, stem cell slash bone marrow transplant patients. Uh, I work on an inpatient unit, which means I work in the hospital. instead of a clinic or um, a doctor's office. And uh, I'm also specifically an operations coordinator, which means I, um, it's pretty much a fancy word for a charge nurse. So um, I uh, oversee the operations of the unit. Um, Big sh- and- basically, you make sure everything runs on, on how it's supposed to and on time. Uh, yeah, that's that's one way to put it. That's part of it, yes. it's um, I take care of uh, anything from... Helping nurses, uh, assisting patients, of course, still. I um, figure out discharges, open beds, patients to be admitted, uh, where to place them with which nurse. Um, 
and also uh, I'm an assistant for other floors where maybe some of our patients are admitted to, such as in the intensive care unit where a patient might might still need chemotherapy. So I can go to those units, give that. Um, let's see what else. We also, um, for some of our patients who have specific central lines for the care they're going to be receiving, um, sometimes I get called to whoa, take care whoa, of those whoa, lines. Whoa. <laughs> whoa. Is- okay. I am going, wow, we're going to have to break this down. First of all, she's really I'm going, wow, I think Jessie's confused. I'm confused. Whoa. Okay. Let's take a few steps back and let's just start with some of the basic concepts of, okay, so you're a nurse. And you work in a hospital. You work in a hospital. Let's start with some of those sorts of things. There are people out there that just honestly believe that a nurse, all they do is just hold your hand. But that's not all a nurse does, is it? Not at all. Um, Well, of course, we're here for patients, which includes um, holding their hand if they need it. Um, Nurses do a lot of different things. It's actually a very big profession. Uh, There is a lot involved in it. Uh, There's so many different settings. So that's why I specified that I worked in a hospital because... Nurses also work in clinics, in doctor's office. They work um, in home health. So they come to your home and take care of you, give you care. Um, They, let's see what else. They also work with hospice. Like there's so many different settings. So specifically for me, I work in a hospital, which means when you get admitted to the hospital, you'll see some of of me. (laughs) Um, And my, let's say the everyday routine of a nurse varies because it really depends on the service they work in. Um, But um, taking care of sick people is pretty much the basic definition, let's say, of of a nurse. Uh, That taking care of includes a lot of different things. It can be um, assessing patients. That means the same thing your physician will do. Um, Listen to your lungs, your chest, look at your eyes, um, your physical assessment, all that is included in a nurse's day-to-day job. Um, you'll have giving medication, um, assisting physicians with procedures, rounding on patients, assisting them with activity. Um, rounding, wait, it means going around to visit them all, right? Um, so in the in the scope of a, of a staff nurse, which means in the nurse on the floor that has um, – several patients that they have to take care of, it's checking on each patient on a frequent basis. Meaning, uh, even if you don't have a medication that's due, even if I've already assessed you and done X, Y, Z that the physician may have ordered for you, I'm still going to go in that patient's room and check on you, make sure that there is nothing else you need, make sure that um, I'm proactively making you comfortable as well as maybe foreseeing any issues. And in the scope of, for example, me, a charge nurse, it's um, sitting down with a physician team and discussing patients on my unit and figuring out what the plan is for each patient that day, what um, issues need to be addressed, what what do we need to do to get that patient home, what services will they need when they get home, Uh, all those things that are necessary for someone to hopefully leave the hospital. <laughs> that's um, that's what okay. we, I do as rounds. 
So as a gross exaggeration of what a nurse as a whole would do, would it be fair to say that a nurse is sort of like the the everyday monitor, human monitor of a person where they're going through and doing the interactions and talking to people as well as looking at the equipment and bits and pieces. And if something's not quite right, then they bring in the big guns. Would that be a a, a fair? That's, that's very fair. And that's actually a perfect, um, a perfect way to, to, to present it. Yes. Because we are, um, physicians obviously are extremely busy. They have, many patients. Um, so they may um, poke their head in a room once or twice a day for five to 10 minutes, speak with the patient, tell them the plan. Um, but at the end of the day, we are here for eight to 12 hours and we see the patients all day. We're in there at least every hour. Um, so we'll see things. We'll see what we call their baseline is, meaning what when we came on shift, what did they look like? Um, did they make, you know, it was their mental status, the way they're aware. Um, Basically, what's normal for that person? Correct. And we'll see, because we're in that room for 12 continuous hours, we're able to see if there is a change, you know, subtle, acute, um, where it's something we may have to worry about, something we may have to call the physician about. So if they're suddenly um, in pain and they weren't an hour ago or two hours ago, that's something you need to know. Yes, definitely, which is also part of that hourly rounding that I mentioned, because sometimes, um, you know, some patients want to tough it out, whether it's from a cultural perspective, you know, their culture is different and pain is seen differently in their world than uh, in their culture than ours, or it's, well, I didn't want to bother you because that's just their personality. So that's me as a nurse, I'm in there proactively asking them, are you in pain? you know, please let me know. Or they might look like they're in pain, but not telling me. And I need to investigate, investigate why they're not telling me, investigate what's hurting, why it's hurting, um, and communicate, communicate that to the physician. Okay. I think I've got this now. That's cool. All right. So nurses do a lot of amazing things. I mean, I, I've grown up with nurses around and, and yeah. Same here, Trying Doc. to pull over a fast one on them mother who was a nurse yeah no it doesn't work mom I'm feeling <laughs> sick I can't go to school yeah right <clears throat> no <laughs> but yeah they, I mean that's yeah that was always fun but so you yourself you said you were a stem cell nurse and an oncology nurse which I have to admit when I heard stem cell I was like oh this sounds awesome can you just explain just in generalized terms what makes what you do how you've specialized different to that of a so-called regular nurse or the nurse that just comes fresh out of nursing school so being an oncology nurse as specified specialized in cancer care um obviously that's again a fairly broad term unfortunately because there are um so many types of cancers and um so many areas like i mentioned clinic, hospital, home care that still are very specific to oncology. But um, what is very specific to what I do is in addition to doing all the things a quote-unquote normal regular nurse does, um, I have learned specific um, things such as how to administer chemotherapy, biotherapy um, in a safe way. 
how to um, assess certain things specific to the cancer patient, um, you know, the nutritional status, meaning, you know, are they eating? What do they need to be eating? Are there specific diets they need to be on? Um, also, the stem cell slash bone marrow transplant aspect of it, which is even more specialized within the cancer care, um, which is a treatment of certain cancers, um, blood cancers in particular, um, and which not what, your... What is a blood cancer versus other forms of cancer? So in some of the jargon <laughs> that we use, um, we will call uh, cancers either a solid tumor cancer versus a liquid tumor cancer. So you'll have uh, anything that you can think of in terms of organs, such as um, liver, stomach, lung, um, brain. We will call that like a solid tumor cancer because there is most of the time a tumor forms within that organ or beyond um, versus liquid cancers is really cancers of either the bone marrow or your um, lymph nodes. So it's in your blood in a way. Some people know that as a blood cancer. They'll call leukemia a blood cancer because that's really what it affects. Um, so that's, okay. that's what we call it. I think I, I think I understand that. Do you, you've got that gist? Does that make sense so, to you? Most people, when they say cancer, they're probably thinking of the tumor type where you can go in and have surgery and have it cut out, potentially. Obviously, there's some that you can't cut out because of what organ they're they're infecting or where they are. But a lot of times people think of cancer as, why can't we just go in and cut it out? And you specifically deal with more of the ones that are not able to be cut out. Um, yes, and... Also because a lot of, thanks to research and studies, a lot of the solid tumor cancers um, are treated on an outpatient basis, meaning people go into an effusion center, get their treatment, and go home. That They, they only have to be there for a few hours. Um, may, they may get the chemotherapy, the biotherapy, and then go home versus um, the – and those, those cancer patients – very depends on the type of cancer, um, how advanced it is, meaning did it stay within that organ? Did it spread throughout the body? Um, and so in terms of those, those two aspects of it have to be taken into account in order to make a plan on how to treat it. Some of it is, yes, cutting a piece out. Um, you know, some breast cancers are benign, meaning they are not going to spread anywhere. They, they get little the tumor gets taken out, um, the spot gets taken out, and the person can keep their breasts. Some people, it's more advanced where mastectomies are done, meaning both breasts are taken off. Um, some people get radiation, which is they will radiate the area where the cancer is to try and shrink it. Uh, and then people will also get chemotherapy to try and treat the either prevent the cancer from spreading or having it um, from those distant areas that it spread to already treat that in a more general manner than just cutting it out because you can't at that point because it's in too many different areas, for example. Um, so that's one way to do things with the liquid cancers, which is what we deal more on, more with on an inpatient basis is um, really you, 
that those type of cancers are in your lymph nodes, which are nodes in the throughout your body. So it's not something you can really take take out. It's just physically impossible. Or in your bone marrow, which is in your bones. Uh, again, something that cannot be taken out because it won't be just one bone that's affected where you could say, it's going to sound gross, but cut that leg off, but it's not going to work that way because it's your marrow in general. And obviously you can't get rid of your uh, entire skeleton. So yeah, those no, people- <laughs> we need the skeleton. We, no, I'm sorry. I'm not just a bag of muscles and skin. No, we need the bones so we could at least move. <laughs> That's, that's right. <laughs> that would not be good with if you did not have any bones. Um, so, so that's and those patients will usually come in the hospital to get treatment because their treatment um, are several days long. Which uh, obviously clinics close in the evening. Um, they're only open for a certain amount of hours. Uh, that's so. Those people will come in the hospital get treatments twenty four seven pretty much, um, and. Or in the case of leukemia, for example, those patients will, um, for at least for the first, for what we call induction, which is um, they've been diagnosed with their cancer, um, that we need to treat it and put them in what's called remission. Um, we will keep them in the hospital usually three to four weeks. Um, so obviously, something a treatment that cannot be done on an outpatient basis which is why I deal as an inpatient a nurse mainly with them. I do deal with some of the solid tumor patients as well if they come in because maybe they've had side effects of their chemotherapy or other treatment. That okay. um, So like, you know, nausea, vomiting, maybe they're dehydrated, maybe they have an infection because their immune system has been dampened by the chemotherapy. Then they will maybe come in for antibiotics, for hydration, um, okay. those, those that, I think this is getting, yeah, that's that. Wow. I'm getting quite a bit of information. I think, I don't know about you, Jess, but I think I'm now getting a full picture as to how it's working. What about you? I think I got it, Doc. I think I got it. <laughs> okay. So we're going to, since we are a science show, tell us about some of the technology that's now coming in that you're actually excited about? Uh, well, there is um, quite a few things, and not not necessarily just specifically to for the cancer population, but um, there are several things that are being put into place, for example, at my hospital, that are meant to help patients have a less disrupted day at the hospital, if that makes any sense. Uh, I know my patients joke with me all the time that you don't get any rest in the hospital um, because, unfortunately, we check on you very often, <laughs> even at night. Um, so, unfortunately, their sleep gets disrupted a lot. Um, so, in an effort to prevent uh, those disruptions in sleep, which are very important to healing as well, um, we we are trialing and using... Um, I don't know if you guys have been in the hospital before or have had people in the hospital, but we do take vital signs a lot. You know, your blood pressure, your temperature. Yes, I've been your in for oxygenation. surgery <laughs> and I never get any sleep in the hospital. I can never wait to get home because I can't sleep if I know anyone around me is going to be bothering me. 
yes so that, that we and we love to do that don't we yes but um and it seems so, like every time I turn around you guys are wanting to take my temperature my blood pressure this that and the other and I'm just going you told me to get some sleep and now you're here an hour later yes indeed <laughs> um so technology you're trialing <laughs> In an effort to prevent that, we've um, they've developed um, pretty much it's like a wrist uh, monitor. So we'll take your blood pressure. You know, there's a little clip on to monitor your oxygen. It also gives us um, your heart rate, which means I'm a nurse outside of your room and I can look at all those vital signs um, pretty much live without having to walk in and put a cuff on your arm to take your blood pressure and wake you up. Um, so that's a, it's very positive in terms of safety because we're able to see those things, you know, very often and live and B, you can sleep hopefully. (laughs) So that's, that's a great, um, so this is just a bracelet that's going on a bit like the, the Fitbits type thing. It's a little bit bigger. Um, it's, there, there are some, um, anybody with hypertension might know what I'm talking about, but there are some um, home blood pressure machines. They're kind of like a little Velcro. They're a Velcro strap. They're a little bit bigger. They're a couple of, well, maybe a little bit three inches wide, let's say, with a little monitor where your um, a watch would be. Um, and that's pretty much what they look like with the little wire and a little clamp on your finger. Um on your nail bed, really. So it's a little bit bigger than a Fitbit, but it's the same principle. Okay. See, technology, it's great, isn't it? I mean, and I know I know about those those clamps that go on the fingers because, dare I say, in my past life, <laughs> I actually did work on the pulse oximeters. So, I mean, those okay. things are pretty cool because they're just using different wavelengths of light that are going through and looking at your blood coming through your finger which is really i think they're really awesome the fact that you're using an optical means for measuring but still that's pretty cool are there any other technologies coming through? i got a question yes. um do you yes. do you still use pen and paper charts or do you now use things like tablets and smartphones so um I've been in nursing long enough that I have no pain on paper, but thank God, at least at my hospital, we do not use that anymore. <laughs> um, we have a um, an electronic medical record, which is actually one of the best things I've witnessed put into place. Um, it's It's an online chart. And it's an amazing tool for everybody because as a, as a physician, nurse, anybody in the medical team is able to access um, that chart, which means you come in the hospital, we can see all your health history, all your medications from home, um, you get discharged, you go to the clinic, they can see what you've been through in the hospital. Um, so if you've had a test done already, they can see the results. If they, they can say, okay, you don't need it anymore versus... Um, before maybe they would have to go to medical records and obtain that. It would, you know, create delays. Sometimes tests would get repeated uh, for no reason. Um, You don't have to worry about that. And then also you you as a patient can access that chart. So you may have a question about a test that you can, um, you know, send a physician note on that record and, you know, a question and say, hey, doc, what's this about? Um, 
me as a nurse, I can answer that question. Or if you have, oh, I need a refill. Don't, you don't have to call. You can just, I need something for pain. I need, you know, send me a message. I can get the physician to order that, send it directly electronically to your pharmacy, and all you have to do is go and pick it up. Um, so that's that's great. And we're also developing where our, our uh, patients have tablets in the room uh, with them so that they can see what the plan is for them for the day, what they're what testing they're going to get at what time. Um, and they can even message the nurses. So, you know, instead of having a call light where they call you, they still have that, of course, but they can also say, let's say I need some ice water, which is not an emergency. They can just say, when you get a chance, bring me some ice water and send me a text message. So if I'm in another patient's room, I don't have my phone ringing that disrupts that patient. I know what the other patient needs and I can answer that right away after I'm done with this patient. Um, so that's, that's amazing. And of course, you know, messaging your physician, knowing everything that's going on with you is all things that's going to make you um, better in your health because you want to be able to, to be in some control of your health. And there's probably no questions of going, hey, doc, what did this scribble mean? <laughs> oh, very much so. I remember um, when we were in paper, with paper charting where um, physician would order medications and the basic of ordering a medication is, of course, the name of the medication, the dosage, um, the route, meaning is it by mouth, is it through your uh, vein, is it through your muscle, um, and how frequently the patient can get it. And nine times out of ten, you know, particularly in my hospital, we have um, we're a teaching hospital, so we have interns and residents that learn the profession of uh, that learn medicine. Um, they would forget some. So back then, when it was paper charting, a you had to dis- <laughs> discern what the handwriting was what medication xyz and then we would we used to have to fax it to pharmacy who used to have to look at it the pharmacist would have to verify it put it in the computer and then we would end up being able to get the medication so there was a a lot of delays now they literally go into our medical record program they're able to order medications very fast the program also has safety checks so if it's not the correct dosage if it's too high too low if uh, the patient's allergic or they may have an interaction with other medications again um, that program can check all these things that we didn't used to have that so that's making healthcare safer as well that's actually pretty i like that that concept actually about the being able to have that additional check with the artificial intelligence, obviously, of some description, checking the medication, because, yeah, it's like, who if you give the wrong dosage, or the wrong medication, and it has some sort of, who is the one liable along the path? And it's just like, mm, let's cover our bums, you know, let's make sure that we're all safe. I, I gotta say, you don't want to read my handwriting. I have had <laughs> medical doctors say they can't read my handwriting. Well, that's a special feat. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that one, Stephanie. I literally have such a brand of chicken scratch. I've always wondered whether doctors, while they're at medical school, whether they have a special class about making their handwriting illegible. I've always wondered that. 
I mean, it's probably not. I mean, it's probably more along the lines of the amount of hours that they have to do and the amount of study and bits and pieces in their handwriting just becomes diabolical mess trying to capture all of those notes. But I, you know, do they have special training? It's always made me wonder. I don't know. When, when, when would think so, but, um, <laughs> or maybe it comes with, uh, like you said, being just, you know, overworked and having to just move fast. I, I have know. to say everyone around me is thankful for technology. Cause you no longer have to figure out what I scribbled. <laughs> I'll just type it in and everybody comes out happier. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's technology. I mean, I, I think I've recently saw the tablets being used um, within here in New Zealand. Um, the listeners know that I, I live here in New Zealand and they were using it on the surgery surgery ward. My husband was in for <laughs> a aptendectomy of all things. <laughs> His appendix decided mm-hmm. to go, he, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I saw the, t- the nurse using the tablet and it was the first time I said, I was like, wow, that's so awesome. And of course I, being the science geek I am, I, I sort of went a bit geekazoid and went and started asking questions about how does she feel about the technology. And she said she was actually really excited about it because of the handwriting. <laughs> she didn't have to guess what anybody was actually writing down. Um, and I did notice that as well, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but these charts, they're now using like the instruments. She had to use, take blood pressure and bits and pieces on my husband. And instead of actually entering the number in, the equipment automatically entered it into the tablet for her. It was like some sort of, I don't know, some sort of intelligent Wi-Fi or Bluetooth sort of system mm-hmm. that it basically just spat out the number across the electronic waves. And there it was just suddenly popped up in the chart as to what the number was. Do you yes, have ex- those sorts of ex- things as well? Yes, we actually, um, we have, so for the, for the vital sign machines, um, that some of the ones we have that are not the, the wrist ones, we act, um, uh, each patient, of course, has an armband, and it pretty much, uh, we have computers, of course, and um, in addition to tablets, we have handheld scanners. So it's pretty much just like at the grocery. <laughs> uh, you scan a patient's armband um, and you scan, uh, for example, medications or uh, the vital machine has a scanner on, its, on, on it as well. And you scan the patient, you take the vital sign and you press a little button that uploads it and it sends it over Wi-Fi to the records. Um, so, and again, a safety check because you know you have the right patient. You know, it's, you don't have transcription errors. Um, and it's live, meaning, you know, you don't have to wait until you're out the room to find a computer to chart it. It just sends it right over so the physician can see it as soon as you take it, really. Technology. I'm loving it. There are some <laughs> things about the technology I'm just loving. I mean, this is, it. it, it is, it's going to make, I think it's going to make medicine a lot, I don't know, faster, maybe? I think it's faster. I don't know if that's the right word. And it's safer, too. <laughs> um, because I, I was going to say, you know, in, in terms of, of faster now is not always better, but it's fast is important when you're dealing with people's lives in terms of emergencies. And um, another, I guess, component of technology in that regard is um, when you do have patients on a regular ward that are not doing well, who are very, very acute, um, 
we at our hospital are using, um, so I'm sure everybody has heard about a code team, right? I mean, all the medical shows talk about oh, yeah. I the big code. So code and it's always a different color and yeah. Yes. <laughs> and everybody so, starts running. Um, you know, Code Blue is, of course, unfortunately, someone has um, their heart is stopped and they start breathing. Um, well, you know, the goal is to prevent that, uh, of course. And we at our hospital, for example, use uh, an AI component. Um, now, I don't know the, the nitty gritty detail of, of the algorithms that it uses, but um, we, you know, based on battle signs, based on uh, certain lab values, the AI component will kick in and we have an emergency team that looks at those results and they're able to say, okay, something's going on with the patient. Is it something acute? Is it something that's going to continue deteriorating? Um, and they literally round on patients proactively to see if they can, you know, what they can do to prevent someone from getting worse um, and, or maybe, you know, to even notify the physician, you know, this is going on, make sure you address this because this could get worse. Um, and all those things, that's when the, the fastness of having vital signs in the computer of, um, you know, scanning patients and everything else is very important because those, those triggers can come in the computer faster and we can address them faster. Um, so you're not trying to treat a patient like a bag of groceries, but it does make <laughs> you, help you care for them better. By scanning yes. their wrists and scanning in their vitals and all that stuff, it helps you care for them better. Uh, yes, I would say definitely, and I think, I think, I think um, patients like it actually because they know um, they know it's for their own safety, um, and they see you know they see it as the next step in in medical care. Um, so it's but then you quite, would get. Then you'll get people like my son who will go, where's the tricorder? Can we have the little wavy wand thing that you just wave over my body and you have all my vital systems? We're quite a ways away from that technology yet, aren't we? I would say so, unfortunately, um, because it's, you know, the human body is so complex. There are so many different things happening in your body. And then everyone is obviously everyone is unique as well. Um, you know, any tricorder would be really neat though. I have to say, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> medical tricorder would be awesome technology to have, you know, cause it would literally yes. just fit in your pocket and you'd have all the scanners and everything that you'd need. It's all there. It'd right. Be really can, handy. You know, no guesswork either, which, you know, <laughs> Would we would cure everybody? I'd say you know that'd be amazing. Um, definitely. Yeah. No. Sorry. Okay. I, I. I'm sorry, guys. I geeked out there. Oh, my fault. You're excused, Doc. <laughs> I like tricorders too. <laughs> okay. Meanwhile, we. I think, Jess. I'm looking at the time. I think we are up for taking a very quick break. What do you think? Yep. You're right on time, Doc. <laughs> right. So we will catch you on the other side. You're listening to the Spark Radio Network, internet radio like you've never heard before. Innovation, creativity, and imagination are all said to begin with a spark. So fasten your seatbelt and take the ride of your life. 
listen for the spark. You are listening to KLRN Radio, where liberty and reason still reign. Sometimes riders feel lost, unsure why a passage may not be working. It takes another set of eyes to help us nurture our riding into full maturity. At Black Wolf Editorial Services, we strive to enable riders to develop and grow, offering manuscript critiques and line edits through a mentoring editorial style. We also offer assistance on generating a rider's bio for your websites. Black Wolf Editorial Services, nurturing your riding into maturity. For a full list of services, visit blackwolfeditorial.com. KLRN Radio has advertising rates available. We have rates to fit almost any budget. Contact us at advertising at klrnradio.com. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel. And a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTechStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. My son was in the Army back during Desert Storm, but even then he wanted an MBA. He looked at a dozen schools, but only one offered the online education and flexibility he needed while he was in a tent in Iraq. Grantham University. Turns out that Grantham's been delivering affordable, relevant college and advanced degrees for over 65 years. Heck, if they can deliver a quality education to a soldier in a tent overseas, think about the flexibility Grantham can offer you so you can earn your degree too. It doesn't matter how complicated or full your life is. If getting a degree is on your bucket list, you'll want to do what my son did. You'll want to call Grantham. Find out how easy it is to get started on your education so you can check that college degree off your bucket list. Call Grantham right now. 800-910-1370. That's 800-910-1370. Flexible. Affordable. Relevant. Call 800-910-1370. Okay, forest animals. Kids are coming to the forest, and it's up to us to make their visit a good one. Sparrow. Have you practiced the most popular bird songs for the year? Of course. Catchy. I like it. River, how's the temperature? It's a refreshing 52 degrees, man. I love it. Uh, Turtle. He's not here yet, man. Uh, He's late every morning. Okay. Squirrel. The forest has been preparing just for you. To learn more about cool things to do in the forest, visit discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. I am incredibly, incredibly proud to be a physician here at St. Jude to be in a place where I know my patients are going to get the top-notch care. Not only care, but also research happening 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Every single person that contributes is a part of that St. Jude family that makes that happen. Because of everyone that is really committed to the mission of St. Jude, we're giving families hope. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures. Saving children. Learn more at stjude.org.
Attention business owners and independent contractors. This is a money-saving message from Tax Mediation Services. If your business owes $20,000 or more in taxes, we can help you today, right now. Listen, dealing with the IRS is no picnic. It's an intimidating and extremely stressful process, and you don't want to go it alone. Our attorneys know every law, every tax break, and every possible opportunity to help you resolve and reduce your tax debt. And if you owe more than $20,000, you may be at the top of their hit list. So don't take your tax debt lightly because it will not go away on its own. The IRS can seize your bank accounts, your home, and even shut down your business. Call our tax experts today at 1-800-783-0810 and let us deal with the IRS while you focus on your business. That's 1-800-783-0810. Again, that's 800-783-0810. Hi, guys, and welcome back. We have been talking with Stephanie Souvenny. Oh, God, did I say that wrong again? I have this No, no, you got it. I-, I promise you, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing great. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, Stephanie is an oncology nurse, and she works in stem- with stem nacelle nurse as well. And she's working with the hospital, and she's just been telling us about what it's like to be a nurse and what it's like to work with oncology and to work with oncology patients and some of the technology that is coming out. Some of this stuff is awesome. We haven't got tricorders yet. No? No? No. No tricorders? At least no. you don't have to decipher crappy handwriting from doctors anymore. That's right. That's the first step right there. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So we were talking before the break, we were talking about some of the technologies that are out. <laughs> yeah, I would love that tricorder. I really would. But what about some of the technologies that they have trialed that you're just like, dude, that's not going to work. Can that just go into the, no. <laughs> have you seen anything come through the bat? Um, so I've, I've seen probably one thing that I, in theory is, is great. And it, it, I guess it worked for a time. Um, we actually had a robot like, well, it looked more like a box, but it's still a robot that, um, used to come pick up our, um, certain lab specimens. We can, we have a tube system, you know, a pneumatic tube system to send specimen to lab. However, certain specimens cannot be sent through that. So we used to have literally a robot that would, um, and it was really cool. I think it was cool. My, the, the sci-fi had already made me think, think it was cool, but um, it just wasn't very effective. That used to come to the floor, um, get to our main nurse's station, pretty much beep. Um, so our secretary used to put the samples in the robot, and then it would go like that on every floor, and then go back to the elevator, call the elevator on its own, uh, and write down. So that sounds like a great tickled my pickle, really, as a sci-fi nerd. But however, it was, you know, slow. Um, and I think the only the, one of the reasons they stopped using it is it ended up something ended up breaking with it, and it was so expensive to um, fix that they decided that uh, just hiring someone to do that was just uh, better. But um, I guess in theory, it was a good concept. Um, but just not time consume, very time consuming to get samples downstairs with that. Um, that's one of the thing I can think of that unfortunately did not work out. Um, trying to think of anything else. 
I think I've seen, there's been a couple of movies. If I think, if I sit down and I think about it, like the movie, the last navigator, they had something similar where it was delivering meals around the place. (laughs) And it's just like, yeah, no, dude, my meal is now cold. (laughs) Give me. So yeah, no. So I can imagine something slow, (laughs) not quite working. Yeah, no. Yes, but yeah, that's okay. Exactly. That's Let's fun. face it: if the sample needs to get to the lab, it probably needs to get there now. Exactly. <laughs> Not <laughs> and three and hours. Yeah, from some things now. are time sensitive as well. In terms of you know, they go "quote unquote" they go bad after a little bit. So, not quite what we needed. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. So that one is a, a a good thing that it disappeared. And and I, if I sit down and I think about it, in Star Trek. I don't think they ever had a robot delivering samples. I think it was always a human being. So maybe, I don't know. Okay, sci-fi nerd. Shut off brain now. Go back to the topic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. So let's let's talk a little bit more about, you know, nurses and, and why somebody would want to be a nurse. Now, and while we were having our little break, we were having a little bit of a, a quick discussion about this. And basically, when my mother is a, an ER nurse, and my mother did her nursing training when I was quite little, I remember it. And there was a guy, a male in her class, and he was constantly being asked, why do you want to be a nurse and not a doctor? And it was just, it got, really got to him because he didn't, he had no interest in being a nurse. And he, he got blamed for a lot of you really mean being negative a doctor. things, a lot of negative connotations. Sorry, he didn't want to be a doctor. He wanted to be a nurse and he got blamed with a lot of negative connotations about this. But there are reasons why people want to be a nurse. And we, we need nurses, not just doctors. How do you feel about some of this? I think it's definitely something a lot of people ask. um, Why a nurse and not a doctor? Or, um, you know, some people unfortunately think, oh, you became a nurse because you could not make it into medical school. Um, I think it's a different role. Um, To think narrowly about the medical field would be to say, okay, Doctors are the most important. Of course, they are extremely, extremely important. Don't get me wrong. Um, But I think it's also, which is also a gripe I have with medical shows. um, I think people think medical field, they think doctor. And they kind of blur out everything else in the medical field. Um, We, a medical team is more what is necessary. And part of that is, you know, nurses, you know, physicians, assistants. You have, you have, very different, um, several different jobs included in that team. For me, I mean, I can't, you know, obviously everybody probably has a different reason to become a nurse. Um, I personally loved anything anatomy, physiology, all those subjects in school. But I feel for me, the difference into between becoming a doctor and a nurse is really having that contact with patients. Um, and families as well. And physicians do have that, but in a more limited way. Um, you know, I, I was looking forward to really helping people beyond just 
the science of it, meaning I can, you know, give medications, I can um, decipher a problem with a patient, decipher a way to fix it. But, you know, being there when a, um, a human being is having a hard time being sick, um, not feeling well, with families who have to be there when their loved one is being, um, you know, is in the hospital in not ideal circumstance. Um, those things, as a human, I guess, as a human being, helping another human being is very. Um, you can't beat that um, being there for someone in that regard, and also um, putting their needs before yours. Um, I always feel very blessed to be doing my job because, you know, at, at the end of the day, I'm able to come home and they may still be in the hospital. Um, and if anything, it, it makes me strive to do great and to do even better the next day with my patients because um, that's, that's what I'm here for. You know, I'm here to get in that hospital room and help them navigate what's going on with them. You know, help them translate jargon the doctor may have used. Um, help them feel like they're going to make it at the end. I feel like yeah, maybe it's that's... that translating of the jargon. I think is actually an important role of a nurse. I mean, in, in a way, it's it's why our show, the Conversations in Science, exists. When I was working as a, a medical researcher, it was actually said to me that doctors are the ones that really need to understand the concepts of doing things like outreach, like we're talking about, you know, explaining science, because they do tend to use the technobabble. They, they spend so much time in that technobabble where, correct me if I'm wrong, a nurse spends so much time interacting with people who don't understand the technobabble. So that, you have to understand yes, exactly. what it means so you can explain it. <laughs> Exactly. And, you know, and you would, you know, I think the, um, the white coat syndrome, quote unquote, you know, where people get intimidated by doctors, so they don't, they don't ask questions as much as maybe they want to. Um, you know, you have no idea how many times I've been in a room and a doctor comes in and says, we're going to do this, you know, today, and this is why and so forth. And using all jargon the whole time. Um, and, the, and, the, and the patient is like, okay, Sounds great. Thank you. You know, the physician leaves and I stay behind. I say, okay, did you understand what he was talking about? Do you have any questions about anything? Um, and the physician may have asked, you know, those same questions and they may, the patient will usually say yes. And the moment they step out of the room, as a nurse, I'm asking, you know, is there anything you need me to explain further? You, you know, do you have any questions? And they will feel comfortable asking me, maybe because I've been there the whole day. They know me. Maybe I'm less intimidating. I'm not sure. <laughs> but that's definitely a huge part of of our role as nurses to do that. See, people, we need nurses, not just doctors. We need it all. Doctors <laughs> are known for techno babble. Shush. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not just the medical doctors, but the other doctors as well. Yeah, I know. Shush. <laughs> okay. So the reasons for going into nursing will be different for everyone. And, and I think my mother had a similar reason for, for you as well, you know, wanting to, to have that inter human interaction. But what if somebody wants to do and study nursing, if they want to go into be a nurse as they 
get a bit older. What sort of subjects would you recommend that they take while they're still in school? Um, I would say like the the main things, of course, is biology. Um, and as much as, you know, not everybody loves math um, and statistics is important, particularly if um, your goal is eventually to do research. Um, anatomy, physiology, which is probably more college um, given in college, but anatomy, physiology and pathophysiology, which is um, the diseases, states, um, those are like the main ones I can think of that are very specific. So basically we're looking at biology and mathematics, basically, as much as people might hate the idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Yes. Possibly maybe a bit of chemistry, <laughs> especially if they're going to be looking at medicine. Um, the yes. understanding how some of these medicines might interact with one another. That might be a, a, a good idea. Bit. A little bit. The, um, the chemistry is very, very important for people who want to be pharmacists, extremely. That's, that's all they do. Uh, yeah, and we need pharmacists too. Yeah, definitely. I mean... They know more about medicines than anybody else, I think. (laughs) More than doctors, even. (laughs) Very much so. Because they also know what's new and what's not new. And they know all the chemical makeup and how it interacts and what the side effects of everything are. And, wow, my my local pharmacist is amazing, you know. That wealth of knowledge that's just sitting in that head. Wow. Amazing. Okay. Jess, before we carry on and talk about the book, the putting the science in fiction. Is there any questions you've got? No, no, I think you've done a good job keeping this medical professional, aka a nurse, who's yes, still a medical professional, from going to techno babble, doc. Well, maybe it's because I'm not a medical professional, so I'm always asking those questions. Okay, right. So both Stephanie and I are contributors to a book which is coming out very, very, very soon called Putting the Science in Fiction. And what this book is, it's just a whole bunch of us. There's, I think the number was up to 39 contributors. It's a lot of different, and we're all specialists in different fields. And we're just talking about the misconceptions people might have and where fiction often gets the science wrong. So, you are a contributor to this book. What is your chapter in the book? What are you talking about? Um, I talk about uh, a handful of medical misconceptions um, that are usually perpetuated by medical shows, unfortunately. Um, I, I think... The main one that I think anybody who has had even a glimpse of a medical show will probably recognize um, is having a code like we talked about earlier. And the trigger happy doctors using a defibrillator, I'll call it. (laughs) Uh, So I talk about that. Um, I I pretty much talk about a couple of very dramatic interventions that are being done in um, movies and shows that are actually not accurate at all um, and why. Give us an example. Give us an example of one of those. 
let's see. So, um, well, the diff- like I was talking about the defibrillator. Um, y- your your heart um, beats, obviously, and when you have a cardiac arrest, it stops beating. Um, in the medical shows, people, um, you know, the flat line, everybody has a flat line, which means no heartbeat, right? So if you have no knowledge of anything concerning the heart, you're like, okay, obviously this patient is for all intents and purposes dead. Um, and a physician will take a defibrillator and shock the person, you know, defibrillate and them. Usually bring them back to life. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. They, no. They the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's not quite that simple. Um, your heart beats in a specific rhythm. So it's pretty much just like a car, you know, with pistons and everything in a way. Uh, And for your heart to pump blood through your body, which is the purpose of the heart, um, it needs to beat in a certain rhythm. Um, With a flat line, there is no rhythm at all and no electricity at all. That means um, for your heart to beat, a chemical reaction happens that creates a current through your heart and um, fuels the different parts of the heart to beat in that rhythm I mentioned. Well, if you have a flat line, you have no electricity and no rhythm at all, nothing. It's dead completely. The role of a defibrillator is kind of kind of a, the, what you would do when you reboot your computer. If you have something wrong with it, you'll press uh, Control-Alt-Delete or... Um, and I apologize for Apple users, but I do not know the combination for Mac, for Mac machines. But anyhow, just resetting a computer, same principle for the defibrillator. So when you have a flat line and you have no electricity, nothing at all, rebooting won't do anything to your heart, meaning shocking your heart won't do anything because there's no electricity at all. It does not add electricity. It just reboots it. Um, so that's a big myth where people see that flat line Grab a, grab a defibrillator, defibrillate the heart, and magically save the person. That That is not true. In order to use a defibrillator, you need to have some electricity already going through the heart, um, and it would not be represented in a in the, would not be represented in a, as a flat line. You would have some type of quivering on the on the line or an abnormal rhythm. I meaning not the correct way the the, the heart needs to be beating. Um, then you would be able to use a defibrillator because then your point, um, your goal is to reboot it, and by shocking. Yeah. It. Yeah, and as a writer, writer editor. Basically, the way to deal with that would be to say, <laughs> it doesn't work like it does in the movies. <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, not at all. <laughs> I think the craziest one I ever read about somebody, quote, shocking someone back to life, and this is so far out there, at least in my mind. This guy didn't seem apparently have a pulse. Now, he wasn't hooked up to any medical machines, so we don't know for sure. And the guy used two tasers to shock him back to life. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. Okay. Science Geek has to come in here. A defibrillator of any description, what it does is it creates a path, a circuit. So it's going and putting 
the charge in through one paddle and then it comes out the other paddle, which is why they have to be on opposite sides of the heart. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I figured you would both enjoy that particular thing that I had read. Oh my god. That is, I have to say, though, it's pretty inventive. I would have never thought of trying that on someone. <laughs> Mainly because we know how a defibrillator really works. Maybe, maybe so. <laughs> on paper in this book, it worked. Oh, dear. That was the reaction of the medical doctor standing there going, you're crazy. So they did hang a lantern on it. They did hang a lantern on it, but it was still the fact of on paper this one time it worked. On paper you can make anything work, but yeah, no, okay. Carrying on, okay, so you've only got the one chapter in putting the science in fiction, but you have some other articles up on Dan Cobalt's website. Dan Cobalt is um, the editor for putting the science and fiction. It's it's his grandchild. He was the one that that put all this together. But on his website, he has a science and science fiction series or fact and fantasy um, series. And again, it's experts from various different aspects of the field and just where fiction gets it wrong. You've got another article up there too. What 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 are you talking about in that article? So that article focuses actually on nurses and nursing misconceptions and how nursing is misrepresented in fiction as well, specifically. Um, and it's um, it was a, a, a very interesting, actually, uh, article to write because I, although I've noticed the trends, I never, you know, put my mind ready to think about just how much we are misrepresented. Um, and I, I think, you know, there are several things in that article as well, but um, one of the main things is actually hand in hand with misrepresentation of doctors because um, it's the fact that a lot of the skills that we perform are attributed to doctors in medical shows. Um, we, first of all, we're not represented hardly at all. And when we are represented, we are misrepresented. Um, you know, a lot of the... Um, nurses in medical shows are incorrectly and badly represented in a way in a very negative light. Um, so, you know, you have anything from having the nurse be um, very lazy, uh, very, very honorary with the physician, the patients, um, very defensive, like all those very negative images are attributed to nurses, um, which, you know, is disheartening, of course, as someone coming from the field. But um, in addition to that, in the scope of, of, you know, giving some of our, of attributing our skills to physicians, um, you know, a lot of physicians in shows will be, you know, starting intravenous access, you know, the, the needle that you have in your vein, they will start those accesses. They will administer medications. They will, um, I'm trying to think um, of another example. That, that all of things sounds we like do. nursing to me. Well, exactly. All those things are and Here's are the interesting thing. This is just an interesting side, side note. 
in New Zealand, and this is where nursing is in New Zealand is a bit backward. Nurses don't start IV lines. Neither do doctors, actually. Um, you have specially trained technicians who are not nurses. They are not doctors, but they have special training. And that's all they do all day. They go from ward to ward to ward to ward and put in IV lines. That's it. That's all they do. In New Zealand, I am, your nurses, registered nurses, the RNs, are not actually allowed to put in the they're not allowed to put in catheters, which is basically a, a tube that's put in to help you pee. Uh, they're not allowed to put in um, IV lines or anything like that. And it was quite interesting because I've, I've got a friend who is a, an, R, an RN with uh, one of the nursing homes up north. But she spent, I think, a good six, maybe seven years in Australia as a practicing nurse over there. And she came back to New Zealand going, you're telling me I'm not allowed to do this now? What? <laughs> Excuse me? Yeah. And and it's just, for her, it's frustrating because she's like, I've been doing it all this time and now I'm not allowed to do it? What? So, yeah. <laughs> That's very interesting. Very interesting to hear that they're not able to do that. Because, you know, that's know. really I what think... we do every day, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I know. And, yeah. and I think sometimes, I think some of New Zealand nurses are just, I think the nursing practice in New Zealand as a whole is a bit backwards. But but still, I trust those nurses more than I trust some doctors, <laughs> to put it blunt. <laughs> and, you know, I was going to say, don't get me wrong, you know, they do a lot of other things we can't do, Um and, but yes, there are some things in medical shows that I'm, you know, that I'm scratching my head and also, you know, shaking my head at because then, you know, if someone has never been in the hospital and they suddenly get into the hospital and have seen those shows, um, you know, they might perk up and say, what do you mean you're going to do this to me? Isn't that the doctor's job? <laughs> you know, because that's what they've seen in the shows. And, um, you know, it's it, it's a yeah. very uh, odd dynamic that, um, to have a, a – I'm sorry, a patient expect a physician to do all these things that are not really yeah, – no. Um, no, they have other things to do. Okay. Let's say that. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we are – I think we're coming to the end of our time. Jesse, yes. Yep. Yes, um, we are, Doc. <laughs> So if anybody has any questions about what you do specifically as a nurse or some of the misconceptions that people have about nursing or the writing that you might do, because you said you were a sci-fi nerd, um, or anything else, how do people get hold of you? Um, so, uh, of course, I have a website. It's um, www. Uh, I'm probably going to have to spell it because I'm sure nobody knows how to spell my last name. Um, it's my first and last name, Stephanie Suvenet. Um, my last name is S-A-U-V-I-N-E-T uh, dot com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter under the same name and on Instagram as well uh, and on Facebook. So <laughs> a little bit of everywhere. Please feel free to – you're welcome to message me, ask me a question, you know, whatever help you need with writing – whether it's in the medical field or, you know, anything about med medical things or nursing things, please feel free to reach out to me. I, I really love to talk about what I do, so it will not be a trouble at all. 
That sounds fantastic. And of course, I'll make sure that we have, when we post up the information, access to what your website is and, and make sure all those links are there, just in case somebody missed the spelling, because I'm, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting name. As people have heard me, I've, I've struggled to pronounce your name all the time. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. Right. Jesse, before we let our guests go for today, is there any questions that you might have? No, I just want to say thank you, Stephanie Souvenier. Did I get it right? You got it right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing great, I'm telling you. (laughs) Okay, Jess, I think we have hit the end of another episode. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Conversations in Science. If that wasn't enough of a science jolt for you, well, you can catch old episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, Google Play Music, iHeartRadio, and a whole range of other popular podcast locations. In the meantime, if you have a question about science and just want to know a little bit more, feel free to contact us at the station, and that's at science at klrnradio.com. Alternatively, you can contact me on Twitter, and that's at Judy L. Moore, or you can find me on Facebook, and that's Judy L. Moore, or you can drop me a line through my personal website, which is judylmore.com. I think you can see the pattern here. Meanwhile, my cohort over here... For anyone wanting to track me down, they can follow me on Twitter at Radio Host Jesse, or they can email me at the station at jesse at klrnradio.com. And they can always check out the books and authors I talk to at jessiescoffeeshop.com. Bye! Bye, guys!